Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, Making the Game More Fun, Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Well, we say goodbye to Augusta National for another year. 51 more weeks before it's back. Seems like forever. I miss it already. It was another great tournament. Congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama on a fantastic win. There was about a 15-minute period there back on 15 when I thought it might get away from him. But he got up and down for bogey and Xander Schauffele saw his chances to apply pressure down the stretch disappear into the bottom of the pond on 16. Hideki cruised from there pretty much. We got introduced to Will Zalatoris, who made an incredible Masters debut. He was a dark horse pickle, by the way, in the fantasy Masters draft I did with my buddies. I like my Corona ice cold with a lime and my steak medium, fellas. Good evening, folks, and thank you for tuning in to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight we're going to look back to last weekend's Masters tournament. We'll get reactions about what we saw and what we didn't see from some of the big names that didn't make the cut, including defending champion Dustin Johnson and the bomber who keeps tugging on Superman's cape, Bryson DeChambeau. Plus, we'll get some playing lessons for how to hit it further and closer to the hole. My first guest tonight is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Along with the Masters, I'll talk with TP about his preparation to play in the Florida Senior Open Championship, which is coming up in just over two weeks. Rooting hard for Tom there. We'll also talk about how to give ourselves more looks at birdie when we have a scoring iron in our hands. TP is going to join me in a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from Mitch Lawrence. Mitch is the host of Talking Golf Getaways, a great podcast that marries golf and travel. Tonight, I'm going to get Mitch's thoughts on the Masters as well. Plus, we'll also hear about his visits to Augusta National and what it was like for him going from seeing the course on TV to seeing it under his feet. We'll also talk about a couple of the great courses that are close to Augusta National just over the border into South Carolina in the city of Aiken, a couple of real historic ones that Mitch has had an opportunity to play. Looking forward to hearing about that and a whole lot more when Mitch joins me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visit from my long-lost cousin, John Mascari. John is the head golf professional up at Alpine Country Club in New Jersey. We'll also get some playing lessons from him for those of you who are like me in our mid-50s starting to lose a little bit of distance. How can we get it back? Plus, more and more players out on tour are going to the claw-style putting grip. We'll find out why. John also has some snow golf rules for our friends out there that still have snow on the ground but are dying to get out to play. He'll tell us what those rules are when he joins me about 50 minutes from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from one of the legends of radio broadcasting, John Patrick. John is the host of the Augusta Golf Show. His was the only radio show to get credentials this year at the Masters. We'll talk about that, plus the things he saw around Augusta National and the property this year. We'll also take a look back at 1998, the year Marco Mira won, 
and the charge Jack Nicholas made at age 58 when he finished tied for sixth. Really excited to have John back as part of the show. He'll join me a little over an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Teen. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I are headed up there this year for our annual golf trip, and I absolutely cannot wait. The Macklemore is a beautiful community, resort, and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com and check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they have up there. Their new clubhouse and bar opened up last fall. You have to see this place to believe how great it is, folks. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why everyone is saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at TaylorMade and their TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them all, and that's the all-new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly designed dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 and TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Folks, you've only got about a month left to go visit Tom at his winter home at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club down in Fort Myers, Florida. If you're nowhere near the west coast of Florida, but you still want to get lessons from a legend like Tom, well, download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing. He can help you get dialed in through that app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter. Be sure to follow Tom on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Patry Golf, And check out his YouTube channel, folks. Tom has over 150 free tips and playing lessons for you there. And I'm very glad he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? <laughs> How are you, TP? Listen, I am so good. It's unbelievable. Is that right? Why? Why are you so good? Yeah. 
Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. Does it get any better? No. That's right. It can't get any better, right? You're with me, and the Red Sox just won no, their seventh game no, in a row. No, this, How happy can you be? Just, oh, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Tom, it's great to have you, my friend. Hey, we got the uh, the Senior Florida Open coming up here in just a couple of weeks. We know you're qualified. You shared that story. Last time you were on, how are the preparations coming for the championship? Yeah, you know, Chris, I mean, I'm, I'm only teaching about 10 hours a day, so I'm, I have a lot of time to prepare. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, sneak, I'm sneaking in there as early as I can. I've actually, I actually chipping and putting before the sun comes up this morning. And I had a, I had a playing lesson this afternoon, so I got my hands on the club this afternoon a little bit. And, and, uh, I was running home to do a podcast with you, so I hit about, uh, 25 balls before I got in the car, and that's how preparation is on a daily basis. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Somehow, I, I, can't, I can't imagine if I came to you and said, hey, TP, I'm about to play in the Georgia Senior Open up here, and my practice regiment is about 25 balls and a, and a couple of chip shots before uh, uh, before the sun comes up. I'm good, right? I can't imagine you're, you're telling me, yeah, that's yeah, good. You'll be fine. It sounds like it sounds like the same regiment maybe Tiger uses before the Masters, or you know maybe <laughs> Justin Rose used this week, or something like, or Jack Nicholas, or maybe Nicholas used before he went to Pebble, or, you know stuff like that. There's something like that. It's similar. Yeah. Well, I think you got to do a little bit more. Our uh, good friend uh, Paul Stankowski, his older brother Tom, was in the same uh, uh, tournament, qualifying tournament as you. I got Tom coming on the show in June. But uh, you got some strokes to make up on Tom, and I'm not sure what you're doing is going to get you there. But you know I'm rooting hard for you, my friend. I hope I, it all works out. How uh, we both qualified with different scores, but here's the deal: we're both at zero right now, so we'll be fine. <laughs> Tom, I, I understand. Speaking of, of good friends, I heard uh, our friend Bill Bergen is going to be doing some work down there in your home course, Crown Colony, here in the in the upcoming weeks. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, it's funny that, you know, uh, Crown Colony has decided to do a master plan that will, I guess, either go into effect in 24 or 25 and do a, a renovation of the golf course, and there'll be some changes made. Um, I can't divulge all the all the trade secrets right now, but Billy came in. There were two other people that were interviewed for the position. I, I'm very proud to say that I recommended Bill to be interviewed, and um, and he, he got the nod, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. Um, I've already seen some of the things he anticipates doing. And, you know, Crown Colony, Chris, is a sleeper. It's my first year there, and I'm really, really impressed with the golf course and, and, and the condition Superintendent Paul Bacon has got it in. But um, the things that Billy has proposed to do to the golf course are fantastic. And, and you know, we both know how talented he is. Um, so I'm really excited about it. It should be really good for the club, really good for the membership. Um, There'll be improvements made to the practice facility as well, so I'm, it's it's going to be it's going to be terrific, and I'm I'm so so happy and, and, and proud that, that Billy got got the nod. It'll be it'll be great having him around. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing those stories. Congratulations to Bill. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to do a great job down there. Yeah, always exactly. does. Tom, I got to get your thoughts on the Masters, and I want to start off by getting your thoughts on on Dustin Johnson. I mean, here's a guy one by five. Back in November, finished 20 under par when he won. And then this past week, she goes out and shoots 74-75 in the first two rounds, including six three-putts. 
and he ends up missing the cut. Is that just, you, talk, you know what, that's just golf. Sometimes it's, it's your time, sometimes it's not. Or can we kind of look at the difference in how the course played from November to April? I think all of the above, Chris. I think it's so tough, um, you know, from an adrenaline rush standpoint, from a emotional standpoint to go back, especially as soon as he went back, because he didn't have the whole year. It was six months he was back there again under, as you said, very, very different conditions. Um, and as a defending champion, the media blitz is overwhelming. So, you know, I, I certainly think that he could have played a lot better than he did, and I'm sure he feels the same way. But I'm going to give him a little pass on this one. It's a tough position to be in. He, held it, he, he handled it very gracefully. Um, Dustin Johnson has plenty of great golf left in him, so I, I don't feel like I, I'm not going to feel too sorry for him for this one missed cut. And Tom, there were a lot of great players who missed the cut this week and guys that I expected to contend, guys like, you know, Patrick Cantley, I thought would have a good tournament. He goes out and shoots an opening round 79. Rory goes out and shoots 76, 74 to miss the cut. Jason Day, 77, 76. Brooks Kepka, I think, did himself no, uh, you know, no good service by showing up with a pair of bad knees and then shooting 74, 75 to miss the cut. Uh, even Adam Scott and Francisco Molinari. You know, both of those guys, they actually did make the cut, but Adam Scott shot 79 in the third round, Molinari 81 in the final round. What do you make of how badly some of these guys played and how hard they struggled? You know, I, I'd say, Chris, I mean, that just goes to show you that, you know, these are very, obviously really very, very talented people, uh, and that golf course was really severe and very different than they'd seen it, again, just six months ago. So I think they've caught them off guard a little bit. Um, Rory is a, is, a, is an anomaly to me. I'm, I'm not sure I understand Rory McIlroy. He's so talented. Um, you feel like he gets sleepwalked through Augusta and shoots 70. Um, the guy that really surprised me the most, though, was Cantley. I really thought Cantley was, uh, you know, he's got such a good record, and he's so solid, and, and he's so calm. Um, that was probably the one that really surprised me the most. I thought I thought he was in, in line for a really good Masters. Um, Molinari is just... Um, hasn't been able to dial it back in, you know, of, of recent times. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. And as you said, Kepka showing up with two bad knees. That just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, so a lot of strange storylines there, you know, a lot of different reasons, a lot of different uh, things going on in those players' lives. Uh, but uh, some of the best players in the world are sideways right now. And Tom, another thing that I love so much about the Masters and Augusta National, it seems like, one of the older past champions is going to rise up every year and make the cut. Your friend Fred Couples has done it several times. Bernard Longer has done it sometimes, you know, a couple of years ago, actually got himself in position on Sunday to make a run. And this year it was 56-year-old Jose Maria Olathabal. He's a guy that hasn't really played much golf uh, under his own admission, but Augusta National seems to stir up something in the past champions that awakened something, whatever it was, the mojo that they had, and they, they go out and they shoot at least a couple of good rounds. Talk about why that is. You know, I think, I think some of those guys who won there have so much, so much emotionally invested in that property, Chris, that means so much to them. They're so prideful of that place. They, they, they respect the place so much. And if they're going to still play, you know, I got to believe that they, they go out and they prepare the best they can for this week. They really want to make a cut and they want us to play four more rounds one more time. 
and everything. They, you know, as long as they're in decent physical health, I think every year leading up to Augusta, they're saying the same things themselves. I want to play four rounds one more time. And obviously, they know that the years are running out, and the, the hourglass is turned upside down, and it's, it's, it's almost over. Uh, I think there's a lot of pride there. Uh, Jose, Jose Marie uh, did a wonderful job this year in, in uh, holding up the senior flag and waving it. And, and as you know, Langer did a great job last year. Um, and Freddie has done a great job on several occasions. So, you know, you and I are, are, are of that age, Chris, where those guys are not going to be playing, but just a couple more. We know that. Um, but there's a lot of pride there, an awful lot of pride. And, Tom, speaking of past champions, and prior to the final round on Sunday, CBS aired a special about Marco Mira's win back in 1998. I know you and Mark are friends. How great was it to look back on his first major championship? Well, you know, Mark and I are, are friends, and, you know, Freddie and I are closer friends. Um, and Mark kind of schooled Freddie coming down the stretch in that, uh, in that Masters, and, Matt, and Freddie did himself no, no uh, great service by Hitting it left of left on, uh, on 15, as you remember, on, I'm sorry, on 13 in that final round, and then chipping out and then hitting in Ray's Creek and, and making a big number. So letting, letting Mark back in the event at that point. And then Mark went on to birdie three out of the last four holes. So there's so much going on in that event. And as you know as well, the great Jack Nichols at age 58 and then a run, run that day too. So there was, that was a great Masters actually with so much, so much going on on that back nine as it always seems to happen that way. Um, but that, that, that special and, uh, and, and the great job Jim Nance did with that special and, and Mark looking back, uh, on the history of the event, his history at the event was, uh, was really, really fun to watch. Tom, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you tonight. And, and the last time, uh, you were on the show, we talked about short game because that's, that's the thing you beat into my head every time we talk is short game, short game, short game. We talked about 80 yards and in, and how can we hit it closer? Tonight, I want to go a little bit further back and, and get your thoughts on how can we get it closer when we've got a scoring iron in our hands, whether that's a 7 8 or, or a 9 iron, maybe a wedge. You know, I tend to get over the top hole, hook those shots, or, or I chunk them. How can I give myself more looks at birdie when I've got uh, one of those short irons in my hand? You know, Chris, that's a great question. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't ever hit full shots. 150, 160 yards and in. Um, for example, my seven iron is about a 165 club, and on the golf course it's about a 153 or 54 club. Uh, my eight iron is about a, is about a 155 club on the golf course. It's like a 148 or 49 club, and so forth and so on. So I always scale those numbers down. And the way I do that is that I, I you know, I choke down on the golf club a little bit, and, and I control the pace and the length of my golf swing. Uh, it's certainly an abbreviated motion. Um, because the thing that I'm trying to do here is fight the ball down a little bit. I'm trying to make solid contact. I'm trying to compress the golf ball and spin the golf ball. And I'm certainly trying not to have any side spin on the golf ball. So I'm doing everything I can in my technique to kind of, if you will, compress the dispersion of, of those golf shots. I don't think, you know, if we were playing darts in a bar, we wouldn't rear back over our, our right shoulder and, and just wing that dart as hard as we can. It's a very compressed very controlled uh, motion we make because we're trying to be very accurate. So I look at I look at hitting short irons like I like I throw darts um, in a very controlled, very abbreviated manner. Um, if you look at the PGA Tour and you listen to a Sunday CBS broadcast, you know you hear you know he's hitting a three quarter eight iron, he's hitting a knockdown knockdown nine iron, 
he's holding off an eight iron. You get terms like that all the time. Because these guys who can hit the ball obviously as far as they want to hit it in most cases understand that they have to get that golf ball into the same quadrant on the green that the pin's located in to have a birdie putt. So I I think that generally amateurs make swings that are much too aggressive and much too big with short irons, and you really want to abbreviate that motion. To that end, Tom, you talk about you, you certainly don't want any side spin. And yeah, I agree. I don't want any side spin. How do I get myself on plane or make sure that is there something? And I see a lot of guys doing this out on tour now. They'll take a little, maybe move the club back just a little bit. They'll take a, a quarter swing and, uh, and as a practice swing or that sort of thing to make sure that they are in alignment with, you know, how they want their swing to go. Talk about how do I make sure that I'm on plane so that I'm not getting out my shoulder, my right shoulder is not coming across. I'm not dipping down all that kind of craziness that can go on in a swing. Is there something in my pre-shot routine that I can do to ensure myself that I am, you know, ready to go? Well, I think, Chris, you, know, you talked about coming over the top of a lot of irons and pulling out of those irons. And that's usually uh, something we see all the time when the guy makes either too big of a backswing or his transition becomes much, much too aggressive and too fast. You know, the change of direction at the top of the golf swing should be one of the quietest moments in the golf swing. So we, we love when we see Freddie make transition from top of his backswing down. We love when we watch VJ make transition from the top of his backswing and down. Um, and we, we see Bryson hit the golf ball offline sometimes when he gets a little too aggressive and gets too quick. And we saw him hit a lot of really wayward short irons at Augusta this week um, after he drove the ball down there a mile because he gets so aggressive from the top sometimes and doesn't control transition. So I think one of the things you want to do is you want to really make very quiet transitions to allow the club to fall on plane, or the old school used to say slot the golf club in the downswing to allow the path and the face to kind of match up at the bottom, hit the ball online, start online, stay online. And as you talk about transition, when we take a look at Hideki Matsuyama, a little hesitation at the top of the swing. Do you like that? Chris, you get an A+. Plus. So look at look at Hideki at the top. Okay, now, now, granted, once he comes out of that pause at the top, he gets really aggressive at the bottom of the golf swing. But if you want to look at another player, maybe even a better model than that, go back and look at some old Jay Haas film uh, who, who also had a little pause at the top, but a much quieter downswing. And, and nobody hit the golf ball any more solid or more online than Jay Haas did and got an awful lot out of his golf game. So I think the pause with Hideki is a little too exaggerated at the time, but it'd be a hell of a drill to do on the range if you could do what I, what I call a little stop-and-go drill at the top, put the ball on a tee, make it easy on the ground, and it hit some shots where you feel like you got a little half-second abbreviation up there and let the downswing both the falling of the club on plane and the unwinding of the body sync up a little better. Tom, one of the things that I think most weekend hackers like me struggle with is, boy, we can go out on the range, and, boy, everything looks so pretty. You know, there's no pressure. Everything looks good. You put that peg in the ground on the first tee, and then everything goes to hell. How can we do a better job mentally of taking it from the range to the tee? 
Well, that, Chris, that's, that's one of my favorite questions in the whole world, actually. I'm being dead serious with you now. So, you know, on the PGA Tour, the best players in the world on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, do they play these things called practice rounds, okay? And the amateur, the Christmas girls of the world, hit some balls in the range or take a lesson and run to the first tee. So I call this time in between taking a lesson or hitting balls in the range and the actual playing of the game, I call that time in between bridge time. What I'd like you to do, Chris, on occasion, and if you can more and more, is, you know, as a weekend warrior, you've got to find some time to put your bag on the golf cart and go out there or put the bag on your back and go out there and walk and play nine holes by yourself maybe one day a week, no scorecard, and go out on the golf course and work on some of the things that you did on the range in what I call live action time on the golf course. Get a couple extra tee shots. Hit a couple of your second shots into the green. Develop a level of comfort on the golf course before you put the peg in the ground with a scorecard with your buddies on Saturday for the $5 Nassau. You've got to have some on-course time, on-course practice time, developing a level of comfort with those things that your instructor has worked on you with before you put it in what we call live action. Tom, just a couple more before I let you go. And here's something that we've talked about in the past, but for those listeners that may not have been around for that episode, you have the best putting drill that I've ever seen um, with respect to putting the ball down, taking your swing, taking your stroke, and then that head hesitates for a couple of seconds, speaking of hesitation, before it looks up to see where the ball is going. To me, that's the most powerful thing, and it's a very simple thing. But it's something that I've never done because I've, so many of us struggle with the yips because we want to see where the ball's going before, you know, we actually make a nice smooth putting stroke. Talk about the importance of keeping that head down and letting it sit there for a half beat or two uh, after you've already made your strokes. So, Chris, I'm glad you said that because in my preparation, my, my preparation for the Florida Senior Open, one of the things I'm doing every morning, and I do, in all seriousness, I get there early and I try to hit some chips and putts every morning. This is not just getting ready for this tournament, but I do this every morning anyway. After I set up my, my lesson tee, I go over to the, uh, the practice screen, I hit a few chips and a few pitches, and then I, I putt for a little while. And the first putting drill I do every day is I take three balls, no hole, no hole at all, and I'll get over three balls and I'll just putt them. And after I've struck the ball, I'll count thousand one, thousand two before I rotate my head to see where the ball is. And I, I'll, I'll do that with no hole, so I have nothing really to look at anyway. I'm just tuning in right away before I insert a target to keep the coconut quiet. Keep the head still. Not really keep the head down. Keep the head still while you make the stroke. When you move your head early, your, your shoulders open, the path changes, the face changes, the contact quality changes. You've got to keep the coconut quiet. And my insurance policy is 1,001, 1,002 after the moment of strike to stay still to create a little bit of insurance that I'll get the ball rolling online and coming out of the center of the club face. Tom, all of these playing lessons are fantastic. Actually, you've recently uploaded a lot of great content on your YouTube channel. Talk about what people will see when they subscribe to your channel on YouTube. Well, thanks, Chris. I, I want everybody in the world, after we hang up tonight, to go to my YouTube channel and subscribe to it. I don't want about 80,000 trillion followers there. 
including mascara. I want mascara on there as a, as a subscriber. But uh, I just uh, I just filmed another 25 or no, that's not true, 35 or 40 tips to add to that channel. I think it puts me over 150 tips on that channel now. Um, it's free. There's a ton of content. There's a, there's a there's a load of different topics on there. Um, it's it's open to anybody to go there and really you know dive in and and engulf themselves in, in trying to figure out some things that might help them with their golf game. It's a lot of fun for me to put them up there, um, and I hope people take advantage of it. Tom, let everybody know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you on social media as well. Yeah, Chris, you know, the website is just tompatry.com, and then, of course, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those places. Most of my content now is uh, is heavy on Instagram. But all those places are available, and certainly uh, all my contact information is on my website. If anybody has a question or comment, I certainly welcome them uh, shooting me an email or a text, and uh, I'm happy to answer their questions. Um, but I want to say before I hang up tonight and you go to your next wonderful guest, thank you so much, Tom, for everything you do. It's so much fun being on. I think this is where we're heading down the road towards our 50th show together here sometime soon. I enjoy being on with you. You're the greatest on the whole airwaves, and and nobody's any better. Say hi to Mitch in the next segment. And uh, next week is birthday week, is it not? It certainly is. Monday is the birthday, but how we'll be celebrating how, next Tuesday how, how night. Old, Chris? How old? How old? 56. How old? How old? How old? 56. Oh, Easy. Easy. We're, he we're heading for the big number. We're heading for the big number. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I got you out, out in front blocking for me, so... I know I'll be all right, my friend. Uh, you do, pal. You do, pal. You do. All right, my friend. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and the family. Uh, I love you. We'll catch up next week. You're the best. I love you, too. Have a great show. Thank you. See you, TP. That's the great Tom Patry. P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name, TomPatry.com, and at TomPatryGolf on Twitter and Instagram, and check out that YouTube channel, folks. Over 150 videos on there. It's uh, no better way to get your your playing lessons before you go out to, whether you're going to go to the practice tee or you're going to go out and play around the golf. Check out uh, Tom's uh, his YouTube channel and subscribe while you're there. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mitch Lawrence, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance, with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. 
This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next up on the tee with me is Mitch Lawrence. You guys have heard me talking about Mitch's podcast, Talking Golf Getaways, for years. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, do a great job taking us around the U.S. and Canada to great places you can stay, play, and even eat. They're also a great resource when you need an emergency nine. But beyond his talents behind the microphone, Mitch is one of the great people you get to meet in this life. Tonight is his 11th appearance with me on the show, and I remain eternally grateful for that and for him. Good evening, Mitch. How are you, my friend? I am doing... I couldn't be better, Chris. I don't know how else to put it. I'm sitting on my back deck on a beautiful Myrtle Beach night, listening to you and Tom, and I might take just a couple of seconds to count one one thousand, two one thousand, before I answer every question. <laughs> Probably a good strategy. I don't blame you. I would. I'm trying too. to. I'm trying to transfer what Tom's talking about putting to my response to your question. <laughs> Thank you. Dead silence at, at the end of a question is always great for radio. So I appreciate you doing that for me. <laughs> No, I am. Uh, you know Mitch. Me, I am absolutely thrilled to be on with you, Chris. Anytime we get I to talk you. is a, is a is a blessing for me. Same, I promise you. I thank you for saying that, though, Mitch. I want to start. I had Matthew, as you know, on the show last week, and we talked about the time wait, when the two wait, of you went who? to Augusta. You had who on your brother Matthew? You you you've heard of him, right? Matthew. Oh, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> he was great, by Mom's the way. Mom's second favorite, I, right? <laughs> he was great, by the way. I, you know, it's uh, sometimes we take for granted the people that were around all the time, and obviously, I've been around my brother for seventy-one years now, so I'm, I'm kind of used to him. But I, I literally last week was listening to the two of you and listening to him, and thinking I don't know many people who are as I tend to be a little more laid back. But I don't know as many people who are as passionate about a lot of things as my brother is and unabashedly willing to be that person. And I loved it. I really loved listening to him. So thanks. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I do every every Sunday morning on Backspin Golf. Shameless plug for Matthew. Um, True. <laughs> but we talked about how the two of you went to Augusta National together a couple of years ago. Matthew's one and only time on the property and and i wanted to get your memories not just of your time obviously with matt there but um you've been there a dozen or so times i think and and tv is amazing and you watch it but it really never does justice to what augusta national is like what what was it like for you having gone from watching it on tv for however many years you watched it and then actually having your feet on those grounds what was what what caught you um I don't, I don't think there are words to describe it. I really don't. Uh, I think for anybody who's seen it on TV, like all of us have and did, certainly, uh, your expectations of what you're going to experience are high to begin with. I mean, we have all heard and seen so much over the years about this place. Um, and I was excited a couple months before I knew I was going. Um, and the first time, the first few times I went, 
was through the uh, good graces of my great friend Paul Himmels back here in Myrtle Beach, uh, whose wife Judy grew up in Augusta and has been going for, I don't know, 50 years. So I had obviously heard a lot about it, and then through them I got to go for the first time. And, and I think just driving driving there starts you on the road. When you get to the highway on 20 and you see the sign that says um, Bobby Jones Parkway, and I mean, literally the hair starts standing up on the back of your neck. Um, and then you drive in and you find a place to park and you start walking. And as you get closer to the gate, that intensifies. Um, you walk through the gate and you, when you, the first time you actually get to the point where you see the golf course, it's literally like a dream. It's the only way I can describe the first. It's literal. And the amazing thing I'll jump forward is that every time you go there, it's like a dream. Um, but the first time was I will never ever forget it. Uh, I felt incredibly grateful. Um, the first time I went, I couldn't believe I was there. Uh, I, the first time I literally walked, uh, you and Matthew talked about this, I think, but you know, for years we never saw the front nine. None of us. They'd pick up coverage. I'm old. They pick up coverage on the back nine. <laughs> so that's what we saw. We were used to seeing the drive on 10 and then the walk down and amen corner. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. So I literally walked through the gate and I walked to 10 and then I just started walking down 10. And like my brother said, and everybody says the first thing that hits you other than the, the immaculate conditions, which we've all heard about. And it's true. When they say there's not a blade of grass out of place, that's not a lie. That is literally what it's like everywhere, not just fairways and surrounds, but everywhere. But the first thing that hits you is the elevation change uh, on 10. And you start walking down the hill and the around the fairway on 10. And you cannot believe the first time you see it, uh, what the impact of the elevation is at the golf course. And I hadn't, like I said, I hadn't seen the front yet. So that was my introduction. And then you talk about following up that and your mind racing to every great shot you've seen on 10. Uh, and then you're at Amen Corner. You start walking down 11 and you look at that hole. And then all of a sudden you're standing behind a tee on the 12th hole. And then you look up at the tee box at 13 back in the all the flowering plants and the azaleas and everything else. I mean, and you keep reminding yourself, I'm actually here. Um, it's, I don't know, <laughs> gets to me just talking about it. The only way I can describe it, and it's going to sound corny, except to people who love the game, which everybody who's listening to you does. It is literally a spiritual experience. That's the only way I can put it. And it's interesting that you, that you that you say that. My first time, and I was blessed to go the first time back in two thousand and one uh, with my father and uh, and my uncle, and that was you know pra we were there for a practice round, and we came in through the back gate, which lets you in. Uh, the first thing you see is the green on thirteen, 
And <laughs> the timing was just right. And you know what a huge Jack Nicholas and Gary Player fan I am. Uh, and uh, Mr. Nicholas, Mr. Player, and Mr. Palmer were out playing a practice round together. And it was a cloudy morning, the cloudy drive all the way over. We walk in, we walk past the 13th green. We're walking down the fairway as I see that looks like Gary Player. And then Mr. Nicholas and Mr. Palmer come up. And at that moment, you know, again, my first time, a little worried about rain and that sort of thing. I see the big three and the sky clears. And it was like, oh, my, here I am standing on the 13th fairway, which is the most photographed hole in golf. The big right. three are walking up and the sky's clear. It doesn't get more spiritual than that. I would agree. What an amazing moment. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> and for you, when you went with Matt, and now you're, mm-hmm. he's there, obviously there for the first time, was it like seeing it all over again through his eyes? Like for the first time he's yes. seeing it, and now you get to re-witness all of that? Yeah, and I got to experience that feeling with my wife, Ava, um, who went with me after I had been. Uh, and the first time I went with her, it was the same thing. And with Matthew... Um, it was, it was a joke. I mean, it was literally, you said you shared it with your dad and your uncle. Um, when you share, it's one thing to be by yourself and experience it. It's another thing to be with the people you love and care about and know how they feel about the game and experience it for those reasons. Um, it's, there's nothing like it there because you do literally see it through someone else's eyes as if for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pretty much walking around doing what you did, which is going, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe this. Look at this. Look over there. Look at the, oh, my. and every hole, because we're so familiar with them now. And it's really the great thing. I love major championships moving around. I really do, because it obviously tests the best players in the world in a very different way. But there is something comforting and familiar and kind of off the charts cool about it being the same masters every year because we all know what to expect we all know what to look for we all know what shots are tough um we all know that the the back nine is going to be it on sunday we all those things we incorporate and especially when you're there the first time you go to each hole and it brings back memories of things you've seen and players and, you know, all of it together. It's like such an overload. Thinking back on it, I don't know how I got through it. I'm surprised I'm not in the mental. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's go there. Right. The other, one of the other things Matt and I talked about is you guys have played in hundreds, if not thousands of pro-ams and celebrity events and you've played all over the world and and that sort of thing if you had an opportunity if the call came and said hey mitch we got uh you know a member that calls you up and said hey mitch i got an opening why don't you come play what would it be like for you trying to stick a peg in the ground on the first take oh i i have no i have gotten to play some iconic courses um you know the old course jumps to mind first off uh, if you're into golf history like I am and you play hickories and, you know, you put a peg in, in, in the first tee at the old course and, and good luck. 
I, I hit it somehow. I went right and it stayed in bounds, but somehow I hit it. Uh, I don't, I don't know that it would be anything but that. I heard Matthew talking about, you know, putting a tee on the ground and at different places and your hands shaking and, and that's true. I, I don't think anybody who cares about the game would be so nonchalant and cavalier that they wouldn't have trouble actually doing that. I, I can't imagine it. No matter what you do, I mean, just for a second, think about you're a, an opera singer and you get a chance to sing on stage with Pavarotti. I don't care how great you are. I'm not saying I'm a great golfer, mind you. I don't care how great you are. You're going to, you're going to have nerves and, you know, we care. It would be unbelievable. It, it would be unbelievable. And I'd keep thinking like I did while I was walking around. It's a dream. It's all a dream. Let's talk about a couple of other things that we've got coming up ahead of us. Right. We've got the PGA okay. Championship next month at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. I know Myrtle yep. Beach is a bit north of Kiowa, but speaking of great courses that you've played, have you ever played the ocean course there? I have. I've played it a number of times. I'm lucky there. Wow. I'm a member of the South Carolina Ratings Panel, uh, and I've gotten to play it at other times, too, but we had a wonderful ratings panel outing there, and, yeah, I've played it a number of times. Um, if it's not the hardest golf course that I've played, it's in the top three, for sure. Um, it's one of the most beautiful walks you will ever have as far as being on a golf course. It's insane how gorgeous it is there. But it's really, 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 really. How many times can I say really before the word hard? <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> and if hey, we've we got about another five minutes left in this segment, so yeah. go on. Great, great. If the wind's, you know, if the, if it's calm, it's just a really hard golf course. If the wind's blowing, because there's no, there's fairway and then there's sand, pretty much. And the roll is unbelievable. Um, the shots into greens and the green complexes, it's a really, really hard golf course. And when you watch the best players in the world tackle it and do well at it, it's just another example of how they're on a different planet than most of us are. For real. It's, it's, it's such an unbelievable test of golf. So let's, let's talk about a couple of other courses that I know that you've played in South Carolina. Some that not all that far from Augusta National, starting with Palmetto Golf Club. Now it's McKenzie design, a very exclusive club. I'm jealous as heck to know that you played it. Um, what was it like being there? Well, all props to John Patrick, and this is one of those synchronous moments because I know John is following me on the show, um, and I love that. I can't tell you how much I love that. He's been a great friend for years. Um, so many unbelievable experiences with John, both as a friend and as a golfer. Uh, he was responsible in a lot of ways over the years for helping out with tickets to the Masters. Please, people, do not get in touch with John. I can't tell you the favors I've had to do him just to get tickets. But um, he's been an unbelievable friend. And it's because of him that I got to experience Palmetto, which I'd heard about. And again, I'm a history guy. Um, and I knew about Palmetto and the history at Palmetto. And uh, thanks to John and his great friend and somebody I had met a number of times, Michael Ash, 
who's a member at Palmetto, uh, I got to go. And again, it's like you asked me about going to Augusta when somebody says, hey, you want to go to Palmetto? Excuse me, what time? I don't care what's going on. <laughs> and so I did get to go there, and it's one of the really unbelievable experiences. Uh, and it is incredibly exclusive. Um, so, you know, not many people can get on it unless you know somebody. But um, part of the great thing about the game is that there's so many places that you can go and literally step back into the past. Um, and Palmetto is one of those places. It, has, it starts at the clubhouse, very unassuming, uh, with one of the greatest treasure troves of a of a room with memorabilia in the back. Um, not fancy, nothing fancy, just cases with stuff. And you, you could spend hours in there looking at the great people who've played played there and been there. Um, the course itself, like you said, uh, 1892 was four holes, um, which that always amazes me, the number of courses of that era that just started out as four holes or six holes or eight holes or whatever. Um, but a number of people got involved over the years. Um, there's a record of it was expanded to 18 in 1895. Donald Ross did some irrigation work in 28, and then in 32, Alistair McKenzie was uh, finishing up on Augusta National, and, or as I like to call him, Dr. Al. Um, he was finishing up at Augusta <laughs> National, and they um, asked him to come over and convert the sand greens to grass and to lengthen the course. And uh, there were people involved. He came over and did that, and they went through a lot of changes um, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, Reese Jones came in in the 80s and did some bunker renovations. That was done in the 90s. And then Tom Doak in 2003 came in. And I don't know that anybody really knows more about McKenzie than Tom Doak does. Uh, and suggested they restore some of the old design characteristics like bunkers and expanding greens and that kind of stuff. And that was done. Um, around 2005, and now to give you an idea of what Palmetto is and what it's about, the resident architect at Palmetto is now Gil Hans. So uh, wow. the history there, the people who have played, Harry Varden, Bobby Jones, Hogan Sneed, Nelson Crenshaw, John Patrick, Michael Ash, Mitch Lawrence, the people who have played there is just off the charts. Off the charts. <laughs> We need to get Chris Mascaro somewhere on that list. I'm just saying. Well, hopefully that'll happen someday. I know, I know you'll appreciate it the same way I did. Um, and again, uh, you know, the people that you meet around these places is often as fascinating. You got to meet, uh, a guy named Tom Moore, who was the head pro there for 30 years, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And you want to talk about a treasure trove. Uh, Mr. Moore was just the nicest guy. And again, very unassuming, like nothing's going on. Uh, I went and I played it with my hickories, which was a thrill. You know, it's, um, keeps reminding me of how truly unbelievable the game we play is. I try thinking about going to Wimbledon, picking up a wooden tennis racket and getting to play on center court at Wimbledon. Um, you know, the way they did, you know, years and years and years ago. We don't get the chance to do it, but in golf, if you're lucky, um, and there's places that are public that we're lucky to play, we get a chance to do it. I don't, I, it continually blows me away 
the um, the connection we have to the history of the game it really does. Palmetto is an unbelievably special place, and I couldn't be more grateful to John and Michael for, for getting me out there. Miss just a couple more before I let you go. And speaking of public places that you can play, Aiken Golf Club is another historic club not far from Augusta. Very public, <laughs> very affordable, oh, by the way. Talk about what yeah. people will see if they go play that beautiful golf course. Well, here's the thing about Aiken, and again, John Patrick, I'm going to owe him so much after this. <laughs> I already do, but I'm going to owe him so much I can't even. Um, on one of the trips, he said, why don't you meet me and then Scott Michaud, who um, for years and years was the only voice of reason uh, in terms of covering the Masters for the Augusta Chronicle. Uh, why don't you meet me and Scott, and we're going to go play Aiken Golf Club. And I kind of went, okay. I didn't really know anything about it. And this is what blows my mind, is that people don't know about it. It's half an hour from Augusta in South Aiken, South Carolina. Um, and I met the two of them there. And apart from it being one of the most fun days with the two of them I've ever had, uh, again, the history is a joke. The history is, I can't go into it because it's, so involved. They went through a lot of hard times. The uh, first 11 holes were built in 1912. Through the years, they had a lot of uh, difficulties back and forth, the Great Depression. Uh, all kinds of things happened to this golf course. It became a public course during the Depression. Uh, and it was kept alive by a guy named Jim McNair Sr. And it's a name that all of us should know because he, he just, what he did for the game in that area um, was unbelievable. But anyway, uh, in the fall of 99, they completed a complete rebuild of the golf course. Uh, his son, Jim McNair Jr., carried on the legacy of his father. And that's a great story, which someday I'll tell you when you and I are having some single malt in a bar somewhere. But that transfer of passion to Jim McNair Jr. is just a great, great story. Um, I also found out when I went there that there's a woman named Mae Dunn, and this is somebody that nobody hears about either. She was the first female golf professional in the United States. And she came wow. and visited and came to Aiken and recommended special ladies tees, tees forward for the ladies to play. And this was early, man. I mean, this was early. So Aiken's actually the first club, the first uh, course in the country to have ladies tees, which I think speaks to what you were saying, which it's a public, and I mean really public, golf course. Check this out. It's a fantastic, quirky, fun, unbelievable place to play. Really, really fun. Uh, other than Masters Week, ridiculously reasonable. Daily fee, $35 with a cart, $25 walking. Weekend, wow. $43 with a cart, 30 walking. Masters Week, it goes up to 120 a player, including a tea gift that they give you. And that's Masters wow. Week when it's and it's jammed. You have to make reservations yeah. way in advance. It's one of those places that a lot of people don't know about. And if they're going, if they have a chance to experience anything around Augusta, uh, Aiken Golf Club is is the place. You won't have a better time playing around the golf and walking a golf course. I promise. Mitch, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your wonderful podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. I know you were, uh, I think, doing a show or recording a show earlier today. 
So remind yeah. our listeners about what your show is all about and how they can go listen to it. That's, as always, very kind of you. Uh, talking Golf Ghettos, yeah, we did a great podcast today, which will drop on Friday with a guy named Malcolm Scoville, uh, who has something called Imagine Golf. You were talking about Tom Patry and how to work on the physical aspects of the game. Malcolm uh, has created a really, really cool way of connecting with the mental side of the game. So that was a great discussion. Um, talking Golf Getaways, you can find it on GolfTripX.com. Uh, or on Golf Trip Experts is the Twitter handle. Um, and it's, you know, it's like you said, we try to tune people into great places to play, to go, to eat, to stay. Um, it's, it's a privilege to be able to share all of it. Well, Mitch, I can't thank you enough, my friend, for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill to get to spend time with you and hear your stories and your insights. You're fantastic, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. All your guests heap praise on you, and to me, there isn't enough praise possible to heap. I'll be trying to oh, come up with some, I... new, some new praise for you. Too. <laughs> <But> thanks, man. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I love you. You know that. I love you, my friend. Take care. Stay safe out there. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Thanks, Chris. See you, Mitch. That's a great Mitch Lawrence. Again, Talking Golf Getaways is the name of the podcast over on GolfTripX.com. You've heard me talk about it for years because Mitch and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they, those guys do such a great job. So if you want to know about any place that you want to go, stay, play, and like I say, even eat, you got to be listening to their podcast. Nobody does it better when we're talking about the marriage between golf and golf travel than Mitch and Darren do. And uh, Mitch, you talk here, talk about uh, playing the hickories and that sort of thing. So you get... You get a lot of golf history. You get a, you know, one of the things that I love about what Mitch does and he talks about his hickories is he really is just playing for the fun of being out there in nature and being out on a beautiful golf course and being out with friends. It's not about score uh, as much as it is about enjoying the game and, and enjoying the people that he's playing with and all the great stories and all the great history that he learns. And it comes on this show and on his own and shares it. It's fantastic stuff. I love Mitch Lawrence. I love most of the Lawrence brothers. They mean a, a huge amount to me, and I can't thank Mitch enough for coming back and be a part of the show again tonight. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Mascari, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our new sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground. Effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the distance golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking to own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Gloves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Gloves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. 
The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicGloves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. All right, now next on the tee with me is John Mascari. Let me remind you about John's background. He attended Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and graduated with his bachelor's degree in political science and government. From 2000 to 2012, John worked at some of the best golf courses around New Jersey and New York. He is now the head golf professional in Alpine Country Club in Alpine, New Jersey. He is also a member of Callaway's master staff, and he's been named a top 50 master teacher by U.S. Kids Golf. And it's great having my long-lost cousin back with me tonight here on Next on the D. Hey, John, how are you, my friend? Hey, cuz, how you doing? I'm good, you. How's, how are you and the fam? We're doing okay. We're, the snow is finally melted here in New Jersey, and we're doing all right now. <laughs> okay, so we got to start right there. <laughs> you, you, you and the videos, you know, are my are a couple of my favorite yeah, I things. Know. No, snow golf and the and the rules of snow golf. Talk about what the rules of snow golf are. Yeah, you know what? That video that was just me being bored at the club one day. It was probably the middle of February and I was in the, at the club doing some work and I'm like, you know what, let me go try to hit some balls out in the snow and turn the camera on. So it was kind of an impromptu video about getting out there. And, and, you know, rule number one was make sure you use colored golf balls. You know, that first ball I hit was a white Callaway ball. And it, I think it's probably, I, someone probably picked it up when the snow melted, but <laughs> I went, I switched to a blue ball and <laughs> it was just, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I encourage you to, if you haven't taken a look, it'll, it'll, it'll make you laugh. But uh, that's kind of how we are at, at Alpine. We, we don't take ourselves too seriously. and We have a good time, and and the, the members got a kick out of it. So <laughs> the last rule of golf was, <laughs> of snow golf, was why are you playing snow golf? Go somewhere warm. So uh, <laughs> I hope, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Always do. John, I want to get your perspective on, on the Masters Tournament. Um, your thoughts on what you saw? Boy, um, really interesting tournament, really fun to watch. Um, obviously, the weight of an entire nation on on Hideki and watching him come through is, is going to be huge for the game. It's going to grow golf uh, like we, we don't believe. You know, golf was very popular. Then it became a very affluent sport in Japan, and I think him winning and bringing the green jacket back to Japan should should make golf more accessible, I would hope, and, and get more people into the game. But, boy, I felt real bad for Xander Schauffele. I thought he had an opportunity there to really overcome, uh, you know, the demons of not winning a major. He had uh, Hideki right where he wanted him, going to uh, 16. He had the honor on the tee. I think if he stuffs that close, uh, it's a whole different ball game, Chris. And the pressure was on. Hideki would then be to hit a good shot, and you know he he flushed it as he said, but just didn't really hit the shot he wanted to. I thought a, a cut probably would have been a better shot coming in there, but he took a took it uh, right to left. And if you saw, you know, Hideki's next shot was right to the fat part of the green, wanted nothing to do with that bunker or the water, and uh, it was smooth sailing from there in. But good on on Xander for you know facing the camera afterward and, and owning up to the bad shot he hit, but he'll be around, and it was good to see that as well. But what a great tournament! Nice to see Jordan Spieth finish well. Um, you know, we keep on talking about Bryson DeChambeau trying to over this, overpower this golf course. And, boy, he's going to have to just learn his lesson one day and take his medicine and, and bunt it around there, for lack of a better word. Because when, I think when you try to overpower Augusta, there's a lot of ghosts that will say, 
Sorry, young man, not this time. Yeah, so there's a couple of things I, I want to take a, another step on with, with respect to the things mm-hmm. you said. First of all, going back to Xander Shopley and the, and the shot on 16. I mean, we've all been watching the Masters. Uh, everyone that listens to the show is obviously a huge golf fan. We've been watching the tournament our whole lives. Every year we watch that tee shot on 16. We know that you've got to hit it to the you know middle, middle left of that green. It's going to catch the slope yep. and it's going to trickle down towards the hole. That's the shot. I mean, we've seen we saw Jack Nicklaus almost make a hole in one in 86. We've seen guys all throughout the tournament hit that shot and it rolls down nicely year after year after year. I don't understand what Xander was thinking to try to get it in that little landing spot down by the hole when you know you can just hit it to the left part of that green and it's going to trickle down. That was a head scratcher for me, John. Yeah, I, I think it was a head scratcher for, for him too after he hit it in the water was, I just didn't think he was thinking at the time, like, you know, like h- hitting this hard draw eight iron into that, that pin location. I mean, he's played there before. He's seen, like you said, everyone hits it to that slope and it feeds down to the hole. And, you know, just a little momentary lapse of reason on his behalf and uh, his behalf and uh, for lack of a better term, a little brain part there. And I think it cost him a green jacket, to be honest, Chris. I thought if he gets it in close there, he had all the momentum you know, try to get it to one with two holes left and uh, and take it in. But uh, you really, really felt bad for him. I was just like, I felt so bad watching it that that ball went in the water. But you know what? Listen, what, what, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. So let's see if he bounces back. Uh, you know, we'll be at Kiowa coming up soon in May at the PGA Championship. So let's hope we can get that monkey off his back. And you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, to me, obviously back in November, he said, you know, it should be a par 67 course for me. And, and he's out there, you know, with his speed drills and just hammering it out there on the, on the practice range and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like he is sort of in the Jim Croce style. He's tugging on Superman's cape and spitting into the wind, uh, with respect to saying stuff like that about Augusta National. And that's just to me. And obviously he has not played well in either tournament. So there's something to your point of, I, whether you, you want to talk about bunting it around or whatever, but he's got to dial it back or something. His style doesn't seem like it's a fit for Augusta National. And if he wants to wear a green jacket one day, to me, he's got to change philosophies. Am I, am I off on that? No, I think you're spot on. You know, I, I could see, I could see Bryson winning a lot of U.S. Opens if you know where I'm going with this, right? So you yeah. can overpower a U.S. Open golf course. I, I can't see him overpowering Augusta. It's a finesse golf course. It's a, it's not a course that's rewarding the person who's real long, but more of the person who's in the right positions, hitting the ball to certain places, hitting the ball to certain quadrants of the greens. It's, it's a very finesse golf course. Granted, it is also 7,400 yards, but you know, he doesn't need to bomb it through all the corners because he can spray it too. And, um, he, te- he tends, he tends to struggle a little bit with his approach shots coming into greens as, as in general. And as we know, <laughs> you gotta, not only do you have to hit it on the green and give yourself a play, you gotta hit it to a certain spot or you could be in big trouble and, and the, and the numbers can go up real quick. Who knows? Maybe he'll learn. John, I, I want to get your thoughts on Hideki Matsuyama's swing and that, that slight hesitation at the top of the backswing. Do you like that? Is that something you think more of us should try? Oh boy, that's a tough question. <laughs> I'm picturing everyone out there 
swinging on the range and that two or three or four second pause and they might fall over or who knows, but listen, <laughs> it works for him. Um, you know, he's obviously had this swing his entire life. It's something that he's It's just part of his fingerprint. And, um, you know, it just gets him in a good position. It's, you, I saw you kind of see the same thing with Sung JM. It's kind of very, a, a methodical takeaway and, and a load. And then it's a, a big rotation and, and he has a lot of power coming through it. I, in my, in my feeling, you, you know what, your tempo is your tempo. If you're a type A Wall Street guy moving around real fast, you're going to have a quick tempo no matter what you do. You do everything fast. Uh, if you're kind of a little more of a mellow person, you can be a little more methodical with your swing, but it's when you try to be someone different and that, that your tempo gets a little messed up. So I know you're a kind of a smooth, mellow guy. So you, that, that pause might go well for you. So you have to try next time you're out there. <laughs> me being the New Yorker, um, I'm kind of running a, a million miles an hour, so it wouldn't work for me real well. What'd you think about what we saw from Will Zalatoris? Here's a kid that essentially came from out of nowhere, though I, I, I have to admit he was my dark horse pick to win the golf tournament and uh, in my fantasy league that, that we did for the Masters with my buddies. But this kid, to me, very impressive. Oh, I mean. Does it? I don't know if he really didn't know the situation he was in, or he was just too oblivious to kind of understand, it, or he just didn't really care. He was just enjoying the moment. I love that he said if if he was stupid enough to think he could play at Augusta, he's stupid enough to think he could win at Augusta, which I thought was a great insight into the personality and mindset that he has. You know, he's a strong player. He's he's got a little cockiness to him, which is I think is good. But listen, he trained a lot with Jordan Spieth. He plays money games with Tony Romo all the time. He got a lesson from Ken Venturi when he was a young man, uh, worked with Lanny Watkins for a long time about, and talked about how to play Augusta. So he's been, he's been waiting for this his whole life and he certainly took advantage of it. You know, I think you look back at his tournament and you think about all the shots he kind of left on the par five, 13th hole. He three putted on Sunday. He played the whole even for the week. That's, you know, playing a par five at Augusta and even and, and 13 was the easiest hole in the golf course. So he could have. Possibly won this by two, three, four shots on his own. But, you know, I, I don't think he's under the radar anymore, Chris. I think, yeah, it's a, I hate to use the term hello world, but, you know, the, the reincarnation of Jess Piccoli here, but, uh, he did, he did fantastic. <laughs> I think, I think, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the Ryder Cup team, which I think would be fantastic. What a wow. great story that would be. Yeah, indeed. That'd be, that would be something. John, I want to switch gears with you. Um, okay. I'm about a week away from my 56th birthday. And for those of us, you know, in the 56, 66, 76 age ranges, we're, we're coping now with, you know, whether it's a little bit of loss of distance or a lot of loss of distance. You know, 150 yards used to be an eight iron. Now it's a seven. Our drives used to go 250. Now they go 220. For, for all of us that would like to get a little bit of that back, is there something we can be doing to, to capture maybe 10 or 15 of those yards back? Sure, absolutely. Now, I'm just going to talk a little bit louder, Chris, so you can hear me. You know, when you turn, <laughs> once you hit over 55, your hearing starts to, can you hear me, Chris? Okay. Um, <laughs> listen, if you're not playing a forward tee right now, you should be doing it. Uh, one of the things that we see the most at our clubs is that guys are, they're anchored to that blue tee or that back tee, and they're afraid to move up, go ahead and play that forward tee. It will make the game so much more enjoyable for you. 
you'll get a chance to hit shorter irons into greens. You won't be struggling hitting long irons and hybrids into your par fours. Best thing about golf is you want to score well. So getting close to the hole to start will make the game more enjoyable. If you're not using a high lofted driver or something with some more flex, you need to switch over to that. Stop trying to think you can hit the nine and a half degree driver anymore. You're not producing the club head speed that you used to to, to get the ball airborne. So switch to a 11 and a half, 12 and a half degree driver and use some flex, man. Go for that senior flex. Go for that regular flex driver. Again, put the extra stiff and the stiff nine five driver in the garage for your grandkids to use. Um, if you're using long irons, get your trash can out. Take the long irons. First, break them in half and then throw them in the trash can and get yourself some hybrids. So grab a, I mean, they, they make even up to an eight hybrid now. I know Callaway makes an eight hybrid. They're so much easier to hit. Again, we'll be able to hit the ball higher, land softer, enjoy golf. And, you know, I think just the equipment stuff, listen, if you're going to try to gain some speed, you could do it with a lighter club head, a lighter shaft, but stop playing the back tees. Let equipment be your friend. Get out on those forward tees and have fun. Father time is under. John, so. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> you know, John, I want to get your thought on putting now, because uh, I'm seeing a lot of guys okay. with some variation of the claw. It seems like everyone's got some sort of variation of the claw that they're using. Is that something that uh, more of us should take a look at? Yeah, I certainly would. If, if you're someone who is, and, and let me talk about it this way. So, we call them a cover golfer. So that's someone when, if you, if you let your arms hang down to the side, your thumbs are kind of going towards your pocket. Your hands are kind of downward in, in the swing. You're kind of a cover player. And the claw grip is really good for you. You know, we sometimes we try to feel like we want to get that elbow tucked in and get it underneath. And that's kind of the, uh, the shoulders use, uh, start the swing and the stroke and the putting, uh, stroke. But putting is really just an arm driven swing. So, Getting that claw, the right hand, if you're a right-handed player, and let the elbow work back and forth. Listen, the elbow, the elbow only works in one direction. So I would try it out, get that right hand in there, and just let it work back and forth. It's Listen, it's tough at first, but I think once you master it, it gets real comfortable. You know, Colin Morikawa switched to a, a claw, and, you know, we can all thank Chris DeMarco for le- really legitimizing the claw grip on the tour and, and having success with it. So like anything else, try it. See how it works. Get, and really try it. Don't just go out there and put three balls. Like, God, ah, this is not for me. Get out there. Spend some time on your putting green. Maybe play a, a fun round in the afternoon using the claw and, and give it a shot. You could be pretty surprised. Once it starts to feel comfortable and you start to trust it, it will help. A, listen, 40% of golfers are that cover, that cover golfer. So give it a shot if you're out there. John, one more before I let you go, and uh, you've got uh, some big news and announcement uh, things going on with you and your show. Update us all on what's happening. Yeah, so yeah, so uh, we, we're just starting season four of On the Tee, which is on ESPN Radio in New York City, and uh, we kind of been doing it at home for the last year, but we're we're back at it now. But I'm happy to announce that the show is also being picked up by the Pro Golf Network. Uh, this was brought to you by the founders of the Pro Football Network, which is the fastest growing football site on the internet. We started out with that and they created this whole network about golf. So we're, our show is going to be on it. You know, you, it's, we're going to have that same kind of fun vibe that, that the Pro Football Network has, you know, laugh a little bit, learn a little bit, drink a little bit with us. We talk all things golf. 
So I would, I would suggest everyone go over to our, our newly launched Pro Golf Network YouTube channel. Subscribe to the show. We just taped one tonight. Uh, we had Trey Wingo on the show last week. It's a great show. So myself uh, with Anita Marks, who you know from ESPN Sports Center and Daily Wager, is my co-host. Christina Thompson from Golf for Her. We've been together for four years. And if you want to laugh a lot and, and uh, listen to me relentlessly bust stones to everyone, it's it's a fun time and it's a, it's a it's an easy <laughs> listen and, and uh, a good show. So we're super psyched about that. We've got some uh, great guests lined up for the upcoming weeks, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to to tell our story. So check it out. Pro Golf Network on YouTube, myself and Anita Marks, season four. Fantastic. John, let our listeners know how they can uh, follow you on social media as well. You're a great follow. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, I've got a YouTube channel. It's just John Miscarry, PGA professional. Check it out. Some of your, you'll see some of the videos that Chris was talking about that we have a good time. My, my latest one is a, a little promo for our ladies opening day where I, I'm at the bar making a, a cocktail with our bartenders from Alpine. And as you can imagine, it doesn't come out that good. So it's a fun little uh, view there. But check me out on on, um, on Twitter, uh, James Gary PGA and John Miscarry PGA on Instagram. And uh, you'll see uh, all the great stuff we're doing at Alpine and uh, in the New Jersey PGA. Well, cuz it's always fun having you as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and join me. I'm already looking forward it to is next my time. Pleasure. My pleasure. You know, I was I was listening to the show before I got on, and listening to Mitch Lawrence was fantastic. But boy, I don't think I can play with those hickory golf clubs. I would be no, all over the place. You don't think you... I don't think so. I need that forgiveness, man. <laughs> those things are like spoons. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, so, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to try. It would be Just fun. To go though. out there and hack it, it around. Fun. All right, man. John, well, take thank care, you my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Yes, you as well. Take care, everyone. See you, John. That's a great John Mascari. M-A-S-C-A-R-I is the spelling of his last name. He's a he's a great follow, folks, on social media. And then take a look at his YouTube channels. Uh, 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 you know, a, a more laid back, a more fun guy to you know take you around on what's going on around the game of golf. You will not find. I love John. We'll catch up with him again pretty soon. All right, now back with me is the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. You can check out John's show at AugustaGolfShow.com. He's been covering the Masters for, I believe, 36 years now. And I'd venture to say that nobody knows the tournament, the course, and its impact on golf history better than John does. And when it comes to great golf shows, you know, some of the best on the planet, you know, I'm a big fan of Matthew Lawrence and his show, Backspin Golf. Obviously, my last guest, John Mascari, and his show, On the Tee. But um, we are all looking up to this man and the Augusta Golf Show. Uh, with the COVID protocols reducing the number of people and the number of shows, uh, getting credentials for the press room at Augusta National, one radio show, one was there, and it was John Patrick and his show. And uh, that's really all you need to know about how great the show is and how great John is, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, how are you, my friend? Christopher, how are you? I'm fantastic, you thank you. How you doing? How you holding up? You got to be tired. I can't. I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on coming on this show after your week. Well, I, I I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a bit of a whipped puppy. I mean, we 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 also we also add to that a a five thirty to nine o'clock morning radio program that we do 
every day on the, on the radio station. So it's getting close to bedtime, and, and I haven't quite gotten back to the routine yet. I thought – I knew Monday wouldn't be the routine. I kind of hoped today would be the routine. It's now looking like Friday before I can get back to the routine. But but uh, it was lonely up there last week, Chris. No doubt. You you were the well, you the Lone Ranger, right? On Radio Row, if you will, there was you. Yes, I looked to my left and there was no one. I looked to my right and there was no one. Um just me and the, and the folks, you know, from Sirius XM who had the uh, wall-to-wall play-by-play coverage. So um it's uh I you know, I I looked I looked very much forward to next April and everybody coming back. <laughs> John, I got to get your perspective now on on the tournament. Um Hideki Matsuyama it, it felt like he had one bad shot over the final two rounds uh to earn the victory. He got a little dicey there there on 15 for a minute, but uh, your thoughts on what you saw? You know, I I guess it did get dicey. I never really felt like he was losing control. It, I, I said on the radio Sunday morning, it, going into the final round, it felt an awful lot like 2018 and the lead that Patrick Reed had. That, you know, Patrick, Patrick doesn't really give up the lead. And, and, and I, I didn't think Hideki would. And I thought that course conditions would make it difficult for someone to really make a charge. And, and, and for the leaders, that seemed to be the case. You know, John Rahm had his 66 and, and Xander made that late charge. But I just, I didn't, I didn't, Chris, feel like, despite the fact, despite the shot on 15, and I don't really, you know, I guess I understand why he went for it, but I, I didn't really feel like he was out of control. And, and I know, you know, Xander hits it in the water on 16 and, and, and maybe that changes the dynamic, but, but that's hard to do. You know, that's hard to figure out what ifs. What if Xander had not hit it in the water? What if Xander had, you know, made birdie or made par? What would that have done to the last couple of holes? I, it's kind of a dumb game to play because it didn't go down that way. I thought the key to his final round, Hideki's that is, was escaping one with a bogey. I mean, he nearly holed a long putt, which would have been for par. But I think, you know, nearly making that putt, avoiding what could have been disaster right off the tee, but things could have gotten really out of control early if uh, it doesn't go quite uh, the way it did coming out of the trees. Well, I, you know, I call, I've called in my life a lot of basketball games, and I've always felt like the last five minutes of the half and the first five minutes of the second half were, were very important parts of the game. And I felt like, and we said this on the radio show Sunday morning. Tell me how he's. Tell me how he stands on the sixth tee. Tell me where he is on the sixth tee, and 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 I'll let you know how I think he's going to do. And I and I think I think he still had a four shot lead, as you said, despite the bogey on one comes back with the birdie on two. But I think on six tee he still had a four shot lead, and and I thought he'd gotten through the toughest part of the golf course. And and again I. I, I, I get that it got close. I just, honestly, Chris, never felt like he was out of control. And, John, I, w- I want you to comment on that first hole. And we saw a lot of guys, Jordan Spieth being one of them, bogey, bogey one. I think that's one of the most underrated holes on the golf course, not because of the drive, but that green is very undulated. It, it seems like it's very tough to putt. 
And I don't think it gets enough respect for how difficult it is around that green complex to actually make a par and get your round started off right. Yeah, and that's probably true. And, and, and I would say, I think the tee shot is a bit underrated. I think, I think moving that tee back changed, changed the whole dynamic of that hole. And, and I've been out there long enough to, to see where balls have landed through the years and more and more, you know, the balls are little short of the bunker, little, little, you know, even with the front of the bunker. And to your point, um, that is a, that is a tough second shot in, into that undulating green that kind of, that kind of swoops back down at you. It kind of moves a little if from, from, from right to, to left a little bit. It's kind of tilted in that direction. And, and to that point, you know, the further back you are, the longer the club you have to hit, the tougher the shot. Um, just, just a little bit of a breeze, a little bit of a breeze coming into their face on that hole dramatically changes that golf hole and, and it isn't a bunker. You know, it, it really isn't that bunker. Uh, you want to avoid it, but, but the, the bunker, I say rarely comes into play or is rarely, you know, a, a, a shot is hit from there, but it's, it's just now a really tough driving hole. John, I want to go back to Xander's shot on 16 just to get your perspective because we saw him in the interview talk about how he was, you know, trying to really put the, you know, the gas pedal down and, and, and hit that shot close, obviously. Um, I was sort of a head scratcher for me, his, um, strategy on that hole. I mean, we've been watching tee shots on 16 forever. You hit it to the middle or the left center of that green. It catches the slope, and the ball trickles down right near the hole. I mean, that's the way I've seen that hole played for decades. I'm sure you have seen it played that way for decades. We saw Jack Nicklaus almost hole it in 86, hitting the shot that way. To come trying to stuff it in there on the low side just didn't make any sense to me. We've never seen anybody do that. I don't know if he just said it because that was a thing to say. And, you know, I, I give him a lot of credit for standing up in front and say, hey, I, you know, I missed it. It wasn't the shot I intended to hit. Your thoughts on, on just the strategy of how we tried to play that hole? Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I can't put myself in his shoes. He was trying to press the issue. I, I thought I remember him saying he caught it well. He, he hit a, he hit a good shot. It just, it just, you know, it's funny as, as, as I play, and I'm sure in this, maybe more so on the PGA Tour, I get more frustrated. I don't get as frustrated with bad shots as I do bad decisions. And, and, and I think he made a bad decision. Although, although, and we did, you do see everybody, you know, kind of hitting for that middle of the green to have it fall to the left. That too, you know, that too is a spot you have to hit. And if you miss that spot, and if that ball doesn't come down, do you want to hit? Do you want to hit the, the spot that everybody seems to kind of go at or, 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 or do you think you can, you think you can jam it in there? Um, you know, and, and, and again, moving it a little to the right is kind of a safe way to get out of it. But if you can hit it, you know, if you can hit it, Chris, between the hole and that, and that spot, if you can hit it 10, 12 feet right of the hole, um, then you, I mean, now you got yourself a golf shot. Um, I guess we can always second guess him, but, but, but he's the one holding the clubs. He's the one who knew how well he was playing or how well he wasn't playing. 
Um, I, 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 from everything I've read and heard him say, he executed the shot. It was just probably, to your point, a bad decision. John, um, last November, we obviously saw Dustin Johnson come in there and dominate the golf tournament. You know, one by five, shot a, a record 20 under par. Then he missed the cut this year. And, and you know, golf's a funny game. Sometimes it's just not your week. But your thoughts on the difference from what we saw at DJ for how he performed in November to what we just saw, obviously, Thursday, Friday, and not making the cut? Well, it was an entirely different golf course. I mean, entirely different. Um, they had the golf course they wanted on Thursday, and it was nothing like what it was in November. And, it, and, 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 and it, that's the way it was going to be. November was always going to be wetter. November was always going to be softer. Um, and, and, and DJ took, took advantage of that. But, but this was the golf course they wanted. Uh, firmer, faster. I thought on some, on some, on some television screens, even on Thursday, it sort of looked like they were stressing the greens out a little bit. Um, I put a, I, my understanding is they put a lot of water on them Thursday night. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I just think it was a really hard golf course. It was the way they wanted it until the rain came on, on Saturday. And, and I think that was evidenced by the people who didn't make the cut, um, and how difficult the golf course played. It, 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 it's, it's hard to overstate how different the golf course was in April than it was in that one-off, in that one-off tournament in, in November. And I'm having a conversation with Brandel Chambly early in the tournament. I mean, Brandel, Brandel says, I, I want to put an asterisk next to, November. I'll put an asterisk next to November every time I talk about November because it was, it's such a different golf course than the other 84 Aprils in which it's been played. Even, even on wet Aprils and, you know, and, and things like that. In wet Aprils, it's usually, it's usually, you know, chilly and or breezy Aprils. So, and, and we got good weather for the most part in November. So, I, you know, I just, I just think he ran into a tough golf course. He ran into a tough golf course. Rory ran into a tough golf course. Bryson, Bryson still has some, some figuring out to do about how to play the golf course. Uh, but it, it was a tough week for a lot of players. Let's take that Bryson comment a half a step further because he continues to struggle, uh, on, on the course. You know, we, we obviously heard him the last fall saying that I guess the national should be a par 67 for him. He's out there trying to overpower the golf course, which just isn't working. What do you think he needs to do in order to be competitive there? Stop, stop trying to overpower the golf course. I mean, just work his way around the golf course. He's, he's got himself in a position now where the golf course probably does feel a little short to him. Um, but you know, he prides himself on, on being the scientist. He prides himself on, on figuring out the math, figure out the math, figure out how to play that golf course. Figure out that you don't need driver on every hole. Uh, this, this phenomenon of hitting driver on three is interesting. That's, that's something relatively new for these guys. Tiger used to do it. And at the time Tiger did it, being down in that hollow on the left seemed like where you did not want to be. And now that's where everybody wants to be. But, but I just, let me, until he strategically works his way around the golf course, I don't see him I don't see him having any success there. And let me see him strategically work his way around the golf course, and I'll have a better idea if 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 he can play that golf course. 
I, um, you know, his short game shines sometimes, but sometimes not so much. Um, I think, I, I think he's underrated as a putter. So I don't, I don't know that even though as uncomfortable as that stance looks, I, I don't think that's an issue. I, I just think the strategy he's, he's trying to, to use on that golf course is wrong. John, as you know, I'm a big Jack Nicholas fan. We've talked about your experiences being on the grounds in 1986. Um, but a more recent time that I, I'm almost as proud as of, of Mr. Nicholas for, for having not won was 1998. I mean, Jack at 58 years old on, on two hips that he would have replaced not that long afterwards goes out and makes a charge and uh, ends up finishing tied for sixth. Uh, we saw the, the special, CBS did a special on the, on that Masters and Marco Mira's big win and, and, uh, his birding the 17th and 18th hole to get it done. Um, just wanted to reflect back on 98 and, and what you remember of, of O'Meara's win and also of, uh, a 58 year old Jack Nicholas making one last charge at a seventh green jacket. Well, as far as Jack is concerned, um, you know, it was different than 86 in that it was fun in the beginning. Uh, in 86, it was fun at the end. Um, in 86, it, it was fun. I mean, in, in 98, it was fun in the beginning. And, and then it just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's what, it's what makes that place so incredibly special. And, and when things like that don't happen, it's, the, those are the times you have people feel like they've been let down a little bit. I, I may have said this on your program before, I think, and I know there were fewer patrons on the grounds, but I think everybody comes to that golf tournament, especially on Sunday, wanting to witness history and be a part of history. And that's what's so incredibly wonderful about that golf course. And when it doesn't happen, and it really didn't happen this Sunday, there seems to sort of be a letdown. So, so in 98, I, you know, it was, it was just another one of those days when um, when something magical was happening on the golf course before the leaders got off. And and honestly, Chris, um, that is usually my favorite time of the tournament. It's 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 you know it's different now with the internet. There was a time when you had no idea, you could not see what was going on on the golf course until coverage started, and we were there, and we could see, and we knew, and you could hear roars, and somebody was you know, early on making a charge an hour and a half to two hours before the leaders were going off. And that honestly was my favorite time of the golf tournament because it was so much excitement, so much anticipation. Are we witnessing somebody making a, making a charge? Um, it's different now with the internet. You, every shot can be seen. There, there are no secrets anymore about who's doing what early on Sunday. So I, I think, I think that's, you know, I think that's just part of what happens out there, especially on Sundays. Um, you know, and, and then every now and then tournament where it's a, it's a jam packed field and, and somebody's going to come out of it. And if memory serves me right, I don't think we'd had someone make a putt on 18 to win in quite a while when, 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 when Mark did that. So it kind of, it, it kind of struck everybody by surprise. But again, my it's my all-time favorite tradition in that place it, to this day is is what happens on the 18th hole and and everybody that's sitting in their chairs until the putt is struck 
and everybody then in unison stands up and, and waits to, waits to yell out a huge scream because again, they want to be there to see something historic happen. And, and I kind of feel bad for Hideki because, you know, 15, 20 years from now, this may go down as maybe one of the most historic masters for what it means to the game of golf. And I, and it was fewer patrons. And I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure the patrons there truly appreciated, uh, what, what might happen from Hideki winning this golf tournament. John, just a couple more before I let you go. Um, we've been expecting the club to lengthen the 13th hole, especially since they purchased the land from Augusta Country Club a few years back. Um, do you think that work is eminent? What, what are you hearing about the, the, the parcel of land they purchased back there? Well, I mean, they purchased that parcel of land for a lot of different reasons, one of the reasons being the possibility of moving back to 13th tee. Um, the 13th tee this year, not the, not the physical tee, tee markers, were moved a little to the left of that tee. And that's been what I'd like to see the tee do. I don't want to see it go back. I'd like to see it kind of move down and a little to the left, make, force those guys to hit the ball a little further to the right. And, and let's not add 40 yards to, to the hole. But, but I think, but I think Fred Ridley is, is, is challenged by that each and every year. I don't know if you paid attention to this. I don't know if you noticed this. Um, I thought, for as wonderful as the course conditions were, I didn't think the ball was running out an awful lot. And, 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 and no. I think the fairways were left, I think the fairways were left a little long for just that reason. I think, you know, it was an example of how they're trying to do whatever they can do to, to strengthen the golf course without adding, without adding 40 yards to 13 or, or moving back another hole somewhere or, or whatever they might have to do. I, you know, he has laid, he has laid down the gauntlet to the USGA and the RNA, do something or I'm going to have to do something. And I think, I think he's trying to do little things to, to toughen up the golf course. And I, and I think the subtle thing this year was, I think the fairways had just a little bit more grass on them. And I thought it was really noticeable on like number 10. You know, we used to see balls hit it down that left side. They bound down to that flat area. And, and I saw fewer and fewer balls bounding down to that flat area this year and and occasionally because of the the glory of television cameras these days as they would zero in on a ball sitting in the fairway i thought you know there's there's a there's a lot of grass around that golf ball so i think they left the fairways just a, a little higher this week talk to me about moving the tee back into the left or just you know to the left on 13 wouldn't that give the guys an opportunity to get around the corner a little easier I don't know. Would it? I mean, it's a, it'd be a bigger hook. Um, you know, it, 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 it depends on the size hook you want to hit. Um, I think now <laughs> it's a, you know, I think now it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strong draw to, to do that. And some of them, and some of them cut the corner a little bit. Um, I think it was right. Xander, was it Xander on, 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 on Sunday that, that kind of crushed it, uh, right down the corner and, and, and was well past the pine straw and things like that. Um, but if that tee moves down and a little to the left, you're now truly just aiming at the, at the grove of trees. And I think to round the corner would, would, would be a, would be a big hook, would be the kind of hook that, you know, JT was hitting at the players championship. 
Um, right. And, and, and here's the other thing about that, Chris. You know, I think year after year, I, you know, I know they hit the green now almost all the time. But, you know, the leaders, Hideki and, and, and the leaders also three-putted that green. Um, right. I just, just the old man in me isn't quite convinced yet that Amen Corner is getting beaten up as much as they say it's getting beaten up. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. Um, maybe, maybe that's just the old fogey in me who, who thinks, you know, who thinks the original design is, is kind of pure despite the, despite the equipment changes. But I'm, again, I'm not convinced, you know, I, somebody, and I, it, I, you know, it's been a long week who somebody went through Sunday, didn't they? And I think birdie at 11, 12 and 13, birdie day man corner, but that doesn't happen that often. Right. Yeah. 11 is a tough golf hole. I think as, uh, as we've all seen, you you go you walk away with four on eleven. You got to feel pretty good about yourself, and well, you, and you even walking away you know with tw- from twelve with three. You know what's funny about eleven now, Chris? Um, the guys who the guys and and many of them hit it too far right. You know, I, I think back to Tiger in twenty nineteen and the shot he had into eleven green from the right trees, and a lot of guys think Adam Scott. Somebody did it this week yep. and yep. and had a, a wide open that used to be the shot that was the angle that's the shot you had into 11 you know but all of those trees now force you to the left and and i don't know i don't know that it's worked but but as i look at those guys you know standing over that shot with the with the hole in the trees for the 11th green i said that's that's the way the hole was supposed to be played Rudy added those trees and i'm and i'm not entirely sure it's it's been a great addition John, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your great shows and how they can tune in and listen, whether it's it's online or for the folks that are, are fortunate enough to be over near Augusta, how they can tune in. Well, the show the show airs in five different cities here in Augusta and and, and four other different cities on the radio. But but you know, with the technology today, you if you've got Alexa or or any of those home speakers, you can. Ask it to listen to the Augusta Golf Show and, and boom, there it is. Um, it's on the iHeartRadio app. It's on the radio.com app. Um, on the website, I just kind of post the interviews that I do, not the entire show. So, um, but there are plenty of, there are plenty of digital ways to, um, to get to the show. Like I said, it's on the iHeart app. It's on the radio.com app or just, you know, ask Alexa, uh, enable Alexa to listen to the Augusta Golf Show and, and, and it'll be there. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of this show. I got to let you know, Mitch Lawrence joined me a little bit earlier and uh, had uh, a lot of things that I think he owes you money for, that he shared stories about the things that uh, that you have been uh, so kind and gracious to, to let him be able to do or enable him to be able to do. So uh, he wanted me to pass along his his heartfelt thank you as well. And And I can't thank you enough for being here. Well, you're the nicest guy that, that does this sort of thing. And, and, and everybody, my closest friends know that I, I'm, I, I pick at them. And, and so it's always embarrassing when somebody says something nice because the routine is to just kind of jab at each other and needle each other. And Mitch and I do that. And Matthew and I do that. Um, so it makes me uncomfortable when they say something nice, Chris. <laughs> my apologies, John. I, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll keep not, those to myself next any- time. 
Yeah, yeah. Why don't, that's a great idea, Chris. Why don't you keep that stuff to yourself, okay? <laughs> Indeed. John, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for being here. Uh, I hope uh, we get the uh, privilege of having you back on the show again soon. Anytime you want, Chris. Anytime. I appreciate you, John. Take care. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Okay. See you, John. That's a great John Patrick, folks. And uh, I mean it sincerely. There are great golf radio shows. And then there's John's show that's head and shoulders above all the rest. Um, he does a great job. His knowledge of the Augusta National Golf Club is second to none. Uh, and golf in that area uh, is fantastic. And uh, he is just a wealth of knowledge and a lot of fun to listen to. So as he said, if uh, you have an Alexa or, or any one of those types of uh, uh, apparatuses, make sure you enable the Augusta Golf Show and look it up uh, and let uh, let Alexa play that for you. You're really going to love it. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, Mitch Lawrence, John Mascari, and John Patrick for joining me tonight. Folks, please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And speaking of which, next week is a, a very happy birthday to me episode of the show. Get to have some of my favorite guests and some great people as part of the show. My birthday is Monday, but uh, we will be celebrating on Tuesday. And for those of you wondering, I wear a size large shirt. Direct message me for the mailing address. I'll be glad to get that out to you and uh, help uh, me celebrate next week. No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, next week, scheduled to join me, uh, Tom Patry. It would, what would be my birthday show be like without TP? So he's, instead of every other week, he's going to bounce back in next week uh, and be a part of the show. LPGA legend and uh, Legends Tour Commissioner Jane Geddes is going to be back with me. As you guys know, we've got a partnership going on with uh, the LPGA Legends Tour. So Jane is a wonderful partner. So looking forward to having her as part of the show. And then making his first appearance with me is going to be the co-developer of Body Track Golf, right? You know, the balancing and uh, apparatus, which is fantastic stuff. I know TP's got it in his garage uh, as he teaches his students. So the co-founder, Terry Hashimoto, is going to be a part of the show. So really looking forward to having Terry with me. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, we are all over the net. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, just type in Next on the T in the search menu, and uh, you'll probably be able to find our show on there as well. And if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor. Go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. Very excited. We were uh, number 44 last uh, last month, uh, so for the for the month of April. Um, you know, you, you voting in March, and then it comes out uh, for the list in April. Uh, so if you would uh, do me a great favor and vote for uh, the show, all you do is when you go to Podcast Magazine, you'll see Hot 50 there at the top on the menu. Uh, just click on that, and you're going to get a drop-down list, and you'll see Hot 50 voting. So you click on that, and then just type in the name of the show next on the T, and then uh, my name is the host, Chris Mascaro. I would really appreciate your support. Folks, thank you, as always, for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make Next on the Tee a part of your uh, golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.